0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church in Riverside, California. For more info about Hope City Church, visit www.hopecityriverside.org. Hey, do me a favor, uh, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start, I believe, in verse 12. If you you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one. Uh, under your seat, and if you don't own one, if you don't have one at home, uh, the Bible under your seat is our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that, read it a lot, and uh, live accordingly. Amen? So uh, we've been in a series called Foundations, and in this series we're exploring some just foundational truths and kind of essential practices of our faith. We've spent the last few weeks talking about worship, uh, our identity in Christ, and prayer. We took a break Last week, we paused for a church picnic that was rained out, so it's kind of like our deal. We had this on the calendar for like a couple months, and then like, you know, 100 degrees, 100 degrees. Oh, rain, 100 degrees, uh, we're back to the heat. So, um, you know, actually, for me, I'm going to confess, it turned out to be this really awesome, nice day where we just like... (laughs) Stayed in the comfy clothes and uh, watched some TV and hung out. It was in football. It was amazing. Okay, so, uh, yeah, it was good. So, uh, we paused this last week in this series, but tonight our topic in this series, uh, tonight in the scripture, our topic is the scripture itself. Uh, And uh, I feel like, man, this has been... uh, We've had this series set up for a while, and this this message tonight will almost seem very redundant. We end up talking about the scriptures a lot. It's just come up a lot in a lot of the teachings. Uh, and so we're going to just kind of do a thumbnail sketch, just kind of walk through some simple stuff. But before we do that, let's read. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 17. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy, a young man. He was uh, mentoring, really discipling. Um, And uh, Timothy's leading a church, and Paul is is writing to him. He's encouraging him. He says a lot of great things in these letters. But then here, uh, starting in verse 12, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching. Timothy, you followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, you continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for, we thank you for our time in the word tonight, and we know heading into this that, um, Your Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church. And so I pray that every one of us, myself included, would have ears to hear from you tonight as we dive into your word, as we look at what you have to say to us through the scriptures. And I pray that we would um, be encouraged. I pray that we would be strengthened, edified, built up in your word, Father, that we would uh, live differently uh, in light of what you've spoken to us tonight. That we would be more on fire for you, more in love with you, that we would be more faithful to you, um, and that we would see you Uh, for who you are in a greater way than we have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, it's interesting. To me, like, there's so many different views on the Scriptures, okay? And I think it's important, if we're going to talk about the Scriptures, we need at least to acknowledge what do the Scriptures say about themselves, okay? So, when we come to the Bible, it's it's funny. I've met so many people who go, like, I believe in the, um, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the authority of of God's Word, but I just don't believe, like, you know, that it's That it's all necessarily like inspired by God or or that it's, you know, I think some of it's God's word. It's like, well, does the the Bible itself give you that option? Does the Bible itself allow space for you to go, well, I don't don't think that this is necessarily that important. I want to get at this. This is a vital topic. So uh, let me explain. What we believe about the scriptures has major implications on everything else we believe. So, this is actually, it's a central thing that we have to get a hold of. Like, what is the Bible? What are the scriptures? Okay? What we believe about that will actually influence everything else that we believe. It will influence how we live. It will influence how we relate to one another and to the world around us. What we believe about this book influences everything. So, it's a vital topic. But we got to acknowledge it's also a massive topic. It's absolutely impossible to cover everything that needs to be said in this one message tonight. Uh, In fact, I've already studied for and outlined, I think, a seven- or eight-week sermon series just on the Scriptures themselves and their significance, on the authority and inspiration of Scriptures, on the canon of Scripture, the inerrancy and clarity and sufficiency in the symbols of Scriptures, the interpretation and application of the Scriptures. And in that outline of seven or eight weeks, I still feel like I'm leaving things out. So... Suffice to say that tonight, I will not be able to cover everything there is to say about the topic of the scriptures themselves. This is just going to be a quick little thumbnail. Uh, and here's how I'd like to frame our time tonight, kind of under this question. Because what we need to get down to is why, why, do, why should I care? In 2015, uh, nearing the end of 2015, why should I care? About why should I read the Bible? Why should I study it? Why should I even care? So, why should we study the scriptures? I'd like to give you five reasons tonight in the time that we have. Okay, number one is this the scriptures are the word of God, it's real simple, it's real simple. But, but look with me again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All scripture that word all is a pretty important word, all scripture is breathed out by God, breathed out by God. Some translations would say is given by inspiration of God or Breathed out, it's God breathed. That is the scriptures are God breathed. It's the breath of God. It's like when God speaks, when God breathes life. This is that's why that's why the scripture would elsewhere say about itself. I believe in Hebrews where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is it living? Just like God breathed into Adam and he became a living being, it says the scriptures are God breathed, they're living, they're God's breath. God is the one who breathed them out and animated the scriptures. So though he used men, when we talk about who's the author of, you know, I, I, talk, I was just telling you right now, Paul wrote Second Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. And so we talk about the human authors. What we're acknowledging, though, in here, and what Paul himself is acknowledging, is that all Scripture was, was ultimately breathed out by God himself through human authors. You see how important that is to grab a hold of that. Though he used men, it was God himself. Who breathed out the words of Scripture. He ultimately is the divine author of the sacred text. That's what the scripture says about itself. Look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. It says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention. Listen, he says, you do well to pay attention to this. This prophetic word, you do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Things are dark, things are hazy around you. Like This is like a lamp shining into a dark place. Psalm 119 would say that again. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. In the darkness, when I don't know where to go, when I don't know what to do, when everything is so dark and and just a mess around me. He says the word of God is like a light in the darkness, shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, then the morning star rises in your heart. Look at this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's what the Scripture says about itself. The Scripture says about itself that this is God's word breathed through men to us. This is not just a collection of man's thoughts about God and they get some right and some things wrong. Do you see the difference? If this is just man's thoughts about God or spiritual ideas and they're hit or miss, then why don't we get together on Sundays and read from, like, Harry Potter? Because that's like literature that has some spiritual ideas and some of it's hit and some of it's miss, maybe, you know? A lot of it's maybe miss, okay? Like, I'm just saying... Like what makes this different then from any other what makes this different from from the Quran or what makes this different from the from the, the Vedas or what makes this different from the Book of Mormon? What makes it different from anything? So this is not just a collection of human thoughts or ideas about God. This is God's revelation of Himself by the Spirit through human authors. And the difference is massive. The difference is massive. So, I, I mean, just say, like, with, with as much kind of, um, honestly, as much, like, humility as I can, like, muster is just say, like, getting this right or wrong is huge. It's just huge. So, does everybody understand what the continental divide is? So, the continental divide is, like, the divide in our continent. It's the line that divides the flow of water between the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans, essentially. Okay? So rain or snow that 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 falls on the east side of the continental divide drains and flows towards the Atlantic, while all the precipitation on the west side drains and flows towards the Pacific. So they may land near themselves, okay, they may land near each other, but they end up in wildly different places. The same is true of your view of scripture. So if this is just man's thoughts about God, hit or miss, okay, or if this is God's word, may. We're all talking about the scripture, we're starting at the same spot, but we land in wildly different places. Do you see? We draw wildly different conclusions from the text. And the scripture says about itself that it is the word of God. Not the words of men. About God. Jesus himself, in fact, used the two terms, Scripture and the Word of God, interchangeably. If you're taking notes, just jot down John chapter 10, verse 35. Jesus used the two terms interchangeably. There's not a difference between the Scriptures and the Word of God. The Scriptures are the Word of God. And God can speak, no doubt, outside the scriptures, and he has. There's probably things that, obviously things that Jesus has said or done and ways that God has moved and spoken that are not contained in the Holy Scripture. In fact, the scripture says that too. It says, hey, if everything was written that Jesus said or did, the world itself couldn't contain the books. But we were given this by God. That's what it's saying. You want to hear God speak? I hear so many people go, like, I, I just don't, I don't know what God's will, I don't know what God's will is about this, I don't know what God's will is about that, and I felt that. It's like, I've never heard the voice of God. Listen, I've never heard the audible voice of God, too, and I'd probably need a change of shorts if I did, I'm going to be honest. Like, I've never heard that. Like, I've felt leanings from from the Holy Spirit, all those things. But you know how the primary way I believe that God speaks is through what he's spoken. You want to hear the words of God? You want to hear God speak? Open your Bible. Open your Bible. So scriptures are the word of God. That's number one. Number two, the scriptures will teach and train us. Why should I read the Bible? Why should I study the Bible? Well, the scriptures are the word of God, and the scriptures will teach and train us. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 goes on. It says, all scriptures read that by God and is profitable or useful. How do we use the scripture? It's useful. It's profitable for teaching For reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, it says. The scriptures will teach us and will train us to live in righteousness. Some translations say all scriptures read out by God and profitable. It doesn't use the word teaching. It says profitable for doctrine. You guys with me? So we hear words like doctrine. I don't know what doctrine means. Like it's the same difference. So some translations say it's profitable for teaching. Other translations say the scriptures are profitable for doctrine. Okay? Doctrine just means this, a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church or by a political party or by some other group. That's why I say, what are the doctrines of the, you know, Democratic Party? Well, the doctrines are, the, these are the teachings that they have. These are the things that they believe in, the set of beliefs that they have. What's the doctrine of that church? The, what are the teachings? And scripture says our doctrine, our teaching should be rooted in the scriptures, it says, it says we should build our doctrines, our beliefs, our teachings based on what the scriptures have to say about any given subject. Now, it's not saying that the Bible is exhaustively speaks about every single topic. No one's saying that. You know, hey, should I eat toast tomorrow or oatmeal? I don't know. Like, oh, let me just search the scriptures. Hey, no, it's not like that. It's just saying, like, that the, that the scriptures will teach and train us. It says in righteousness. And so... Um, I just think it's really, really, really important. Like, how do I know if I have right beliefs? As a Christian, like, how can I know if what I'm believing is correct, is true, is right? How can I know that? Well, what do the scriptures say? That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty simple. Okay? Now, I know on some issues, man, the scripture is silent. And on some issues, the scripture seems, and there's ways you can make it. Some issues, the scripture is really, really, really clear. Many issues, the scripture is very, very, very clear. It is black or white in many places that we tend to call gray because we don't like what it says. And so we start to develop doctrines or sets of teachings or beliefs that actually contradict what the Bible itself says. And the Bible is the, is the book that tells us that your, all your teaching, all your doctrine, should be rooted in the scriptures themselves. So how can I know if I have right beliefs? How can I know if my doctrine is pure and true? Well, what do the scriptures say? Search the scriptures. So that's why we should search the scriptures. To know truth and avoid error. To know truth and avoid error. Uh, and it says training in righteousness. Like the scriptures are useful to train us in righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? The word righteous just means to be morally right, to be virtuous, to be justifiable. How can I, how can I live in a way that is morally right? How can I even know what is morally right in any given situation? Actually in this age of just kind of ever shifting relative morality how can i possibly know with any degree of confidence what is morally right and virtuous the scriptures that's what it says it's what it says it'll train you in righteousness it'll train you to know what is righteous what is morally justifiable what is morally just listen uh, this is not just like i'm not just Getting on a little hobby horse here. I've had conversations like crazy. I had a guy tell me that Hitler exterminating so many Jews was not wrong for him if he didn't think it was wrong because it was his morals. It was his like it was perfectly justifiable for him. How can I look at that guy with any degree of like confidence and say, listen, it's it's that's wrong. It's wrong. First of all, we all should instinctively know that. But as soon as you remove the standard by which we're going to judge moral right and wrong, you end up with what we've got, which is this moral relativism. It's just whatever. It's your thing, my thing, whatever. I get to determine my morals. You don't get to tell me what's immoral in my life. I don't get to tell you what's immoral in my life. In fact, we break that rule all the time because we say you're wrong to tell me I'm wrong. So I I don't get to... But hang on, you don't get to do that. You see what I'm saying? So it's like are we get up with this mush and this myth. How do we know what is righteous? How do we know what is right and morally pure? How do we possibly know what's virtuous? Listen, yes, God has written His law in our hearts. People who've never read the Bible have an instinctive knowing about truth and right and wrong. Okay, we we reject the truth. We 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 push it down. We we exchange it for lies. Yes. Okay, but what is a standard? What is the standard? What is the plumb line? What is the straight line we hold up and go? We measure things against this, whether it's right or wrong. Scripture says it's the Scripture. So all I'm getting at is that if you want to reject what the Scripture says, just reject the Scriptures. Don't play halfway. Don't play halfway with the Scriptures. If you want to reject what the Scripture teaches clearly, then just reject the Scriptures. Number three, why should we study the Bible? Why should we study the scriptures? Number three is the scriptures will rebuke and correct us. Okay, now listen, we don't, we don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this. Actually, actually I do, but I don't. It's both, so let's explain. Okay, look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, it goes on. So it says, all scriptures breathed out by God, it's given by God, it's the word of God, it's profitable for teaching, all of our doctrine should be rooted in the scriptures, it will train us righteous, and for reproof, and for correction. The scriptures are given to us to reprove and correct us. To, to reprove means to rebuke, to chastise, to reprimand. It's correction. It's like getting a spanking from God. It's like, hey, I love you. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right? It's, like, it's like one of those things. Like, But let me open up the word and it's going to, it's going to, you ever read like a scripture? Anybody ever had this where you like read it and it just challenges you? I, I have that happen almost every time I open the scriptures. So I read a passage, just this week, I'm reading passages about, you know, uh, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, because what it does is it shows me funky stuff in my heart. If God just turns the mirror, the word, scripture actually the scriptures are, are compared, some of the symbols of the scripture says it's like a mirror, shows us ourselves, shows us our own heart. So we're reading it, and I go, oh, I see something funky in me. The scriptures just corrected me. They just challenged me. Now what am I gonna do with that? What am I gonna do with that? This is significant because once I come to know, like the last part was training in righteousness. So I come to know what is morally right or wrong in God's eyes. The scripture shows me that. Now once I come to know that, okay, I'm bound to see the areas in my own life where I either disagree with God my my preference is this other way or I'm currently living in opposition to what his word says where I'm walking in sin okay so once I know what God's will is by reading the scriptures I'm also simultaneously aware of all the areas where I don't like what it says and all the areas where I'm disobeying what it says okay and so a tension is created between my view and God's view Between my will and God's will. Happens almost every time I read the scriptures. This tension is created between what I want, what I think, how I'm living, and what the scriptures have to say. How I respond to this tension depends entirely on my view of scripture. Right? When I read the scripture that challenges me, how I respond has everything to do with how I view the scripture. So if I don't believe that this is the word of God, then when it confronts or challenges my opinion or my sin, I can simply dismiss it. I can just go, well, but the Bible's archaic. It's out of date. It has all these errors because it was written by men. And so what's, what's happened now? It's lost all of its authority to correct or rebuke me. Because every time it corrects me, I just dismiss it. I'm right, and it's wrong. You see? If, however, I believe that this is what it says it is, the very word of God, then when I come to those passages that confront or challenge me, I know it's me that must change. I know it's my view. It's my way that I'm living. It's my whatever that is challenged that must come in line with the word of God, not the word of God that must come in line with me. Does that make sense? So if the scripture says it was given partially, not just to teach and train us, but to rebuke and correct us, how can it rebuke and correct us if I don't ever disagree with it, right? So that's what happens is that I actually read it and I don't like it. I don't like that it tells me to love my enemies, to pray for those who persecute me, to to bless those who who, who curse me. Those who, who spitefully use me and slander me. And, uh, it tells me to love them and pray for them and, and bless them and believe them. I don't like that. And so I see in my heart this desire to not want to do that. And so what happens? I can either go, well, you know, I don't have to really listen to the Bible anyways because, you know, crazy old book. Or I go, I don't get to do that because this is the word of God. And so I must now do the heart work of bringing myself in line with the word of God. Here's a good test. When there's a showdown between your opinion or your sin or whatever and the scriptures, which one moves? Which one is forced to change position in your life? And we answer this maybe differently. Which one is made to submit to the other? Are the scriptures made to submit to you? Are you forced, because it's the Word of God, to submit to the Scriptures. That's what it means for the Scriptures to have authority. That's what it means. You can't say, I believe the Scriptures have authority, but I reject it everywhere it challenges me. You can't do that. They're mutually exclusive. You just can't do that. What it means for the Scriptures to have authority is that when you come to an impasse and you disagree, and we all will, we submit to the authority of God's Word. Here's the deal, too. All this stuff, because it seems like, man, that's heavy, that's rude, that's mean. But put this in terms of, like, our loving father and we're the kids. So let's put this back in that context, right? Let's not just take it, let's not just make it judge and, you know, person who's fractured the law. There's that element there. But let's put it in the context of a loving relationship of a father and his children, okay? Every child needs correction. Every child needs correction. And every good and loving parent corrects their children that's just the truth if you're a parent you instinctive you just know this in fact if you're a child you just know this unless you're still in that like crazy super rebellious stage where you know everything and your parents don't know anything it's like like, the reality is you understand I even when I was a kid when I was rebellious and my mom had to correct me about something or whatever like I knew when she was right and I knew she was right to correct me I may have been angry about it I may have not said that to her but I knew that she was right and I knew that, that, that I needed it, that I needed to hear that, that I needed to respond in, in the right ways. Every child needs correction, and every loving parent corrects their children. I used to work in group homes for troubled teens. Um, so I, you know, we, all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was like these, uh, uh, you know, God, I love these kids. I just loved them to pieces. They were all, they had so much, these are people that in many ways society had just thrown out, and they were just like essentially kind of, Just doing their time. They'd go to juvenile hall or they were in, uh, uh, you know, mental hospitals and stuff. And they are just kind of written off. They were just kind of being housed somewhere. Pumped full of medication or something. And so they just have all this stuff. And we'd go in and it was part of my job to go in and interview them to see if they'd be good for placement in our group home. And what we'd do is we'd bring them into a home type setting. And we would, if they had two years in juvenile hall that they were doing, you know, uh, and we interviewed them, we thought that they might respond well to this kind of counseling and training that we offered. We would offer them, okay, instead of doing two years in juvenile hall, do you want to do one year with us? And it's a home and we're going to provide meals for you, and we're going to train you, we're going to give you skills, so hopefully that when you get out, you, you, you have a better quality of life, you're making better decisions, okay? But we were in there, and there's all this stuff, and we, we saw crazy stuff. We had kids in there that uh, had done all kinds of stuff, you imagine it, like just, you name it, like murder, rape. Uh, carjacking, uh, grand theft of all kind, like you, you, name it. We had a kid that was in there that was 15 years old. Uh, when they busted him, he was driving a car. He just coming from the cemetery at 2:30 in the morning, driving a car, and there were like body parts hanging out of the car because he was digging up the bodies to cut them open to dip the uh, cigarette in like the formaldehyde to make a drug. 15 years old, that's what he did. And he was in our group home. This kid ended up leaving because he assaulted me. But uh, it was one of those things. These are the kind of kids we were dealing with. But here's. let me explain to you what happened. We, we would look back, we'd see the history of this child. What's going on? What have they been through? And invariably, it was one of two things. Either they were in a crazy, abusive, super strict, stifling, choked-out environment. Or they were abused. Or it was just oppressive. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't move. They 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 had to, you know, they had to ask permission to blink. It's crazy. Or they had no rules. They had no correction. They had no boundaries. They had no limits. And I literally had teenagers say to us, they had never had that before, and they would reject it. You'd start putting rules on them. They were like. I mean, literally, I've been punched. I had my rocks thrown at my car. And then they're graduating a year later going, thank you. Like, thank, that's what I needed. I needed boundaries. And let me explain this to you. They, I had teens literally say this to me. Like, I never felt loved like I felt love from you guys because you guys actually gave me rules. You cared enough about my life to correct me. So listen to me. When God corrects you, Scripture itself says, I believe in Hebrews, where it says, says God corrects those whom he loves. When you're corrected by the Scriptures, it's because you're a child of God and he loves you and he wants what is best for you. But if we just dismiss the Scriptures, We 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 take it's like we cut off one of the primary avenues through which God corrects us lovingly for our good. It's absolutely self-destructive behavior to do that, and it will lead to some pretty awful places. Number four, why should we study the scriptures? Is this the scriptures will equip us for every Good work. Scriptures will equip us for every good work. Second Timothy chapter three, verse seventeen says this. So that the, let's let's read sixteen and seventeen again. Sixteen says, all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. and verse seventeen, so that the man of God or woman of God may be competent, that is mature, equipped for every good work. Check this out. I love this. So the book of Ephesians says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's part of why we were created, is to do good works. We were created... We're not saved by good works, we're saved to good works, okay? So it says we are created by Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in Him. So God has created you and I for good works. His purpose, listen to me, His purpose in calling on your life, it's fantastic, it's great, okay? It's often greater than your abilities. It's often greater than your own personal qualifications. That's why when God gives you something, when God gives a vision or dream in your life or a ministry or calls you to something, that's why uh, Lexi wrestles with this calling. that She goes, I'm inadequate for this. And it's like, that's what God does. So God does. That's why when we felt called to plant churches, I went, I can't do that. And God's like, exactly, exactly. You're not qualified and you're not gifted enough. And so guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to be absolutely dependent on me to see anything happen. It's going to drive you to your knees and absolute dependence on me. But I've created you for these good works so that you can walk in them. But it's impossible for you to walk in them unless you're radically dependent on me. So how? How? If God is going to equip us, I love this. I know it's a cheesy saying. I know people have said it a hundred billion times, but I absolutely love this. Where they say, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Okay? God doesn't call super freakishly gifted people. He doesn't just use these people because they're so amazing and so much more gifted and attractive than you and I are. God delights to confound the wisdom of the world by choosing people like us to do things we are not gifted or qualified or capable of doing. So that when it happens, he gets the glory and we aren't, we're not even tempted to take any of the credit. Because it's like, there's no way, there's no way I could have done that. You know that. I know that. Like, yeah, absolutely. it's got to be God. How will I be equipped then by God to do what he's called me to do? To do the good works that he's called me to do? Scripture says, all scripture is given, so that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every." Good work if God has called you to it he will equip you for it and one of the primary ways he will equip you to do what he's called you to do is through the scriptures I've I've listened I'm just gonna use the example for us because this has been our story for the last you know year plus really four years but uh, the last year of just plus of being on the ground church planning and going through a lot of the hardships That was my question. It's like, God, how, how will I be equipped to do that? And I've been to conferences. I've listened to more teaching, training, whatever. I've, I have sat down with leaders of movements. You, you ever heard of Vineyard? You know, like, it became a movement. I sat down with one of the leaders and founders of the Vineyard movement, just picking their brain. I've been equipped by a lot, in a lot of different ways, and I'm telling you right now, nothing has equipped me to do what God's called me to do, like spending time in the Word of God and anything that those people or those conferences or those things had to offer me in terms of equipping was when they pointed me to the scriptures they'd go hey I've learned this over time and, uh, uh, that the scripture says and they, and they share the word with you it's the word of God that will equip you to do what he's called you to do so if we dismiss the word of God we don't study the word of God we don't read it, we don't understand what's going on man. we're missing one of, our prime, one of the primary avenues through which God wants to equip you for the good works he created you to do it's huge. We're, we, we should be constantly being equipped. I'm, I'm being trained and equipped and built up. Lord, every time I open the scriptures, God teach me, God treat me, God rebuke me, God correct me, God equip me to do what you've called me to do. And he's faithful to do it all. He's faithful because it's his word to teach and to train, to rebuke, to correct, and to equip. He's so faithful. Fifth and finally, is that the scriptures... Why, why should we study the scriptures? Number five, the scriptures teach us about Jesus. It's that, it's, I know this is simple. Guys, I know this is 101, but man, if we grab this stuff. The scriptures are all about Jesus. And you go, wait a minute, we don't even see Jesus' name until the New Testament. It, bear with me, okay? Uh, John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40 says this. Jesus speaking, talking to the Pharisees, who, man, they had the word down. They had that Old Testament. They had the law. They had the prophets. and Moses. They had the Psalms. Jesus says this to them. You search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's these that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Let me just acknowledge first that what Jesus said is you guys got the scriptures. You miss me completely. It's possible to be a big Bible fat knowledge head about the scriptures and miss Jesus completely it's possible, it's entirely possible to have all your doctrine right, to have all you, to know you can. oh you're the guy who can spit out verses here and there, you can just, whatever you just know it, you, oh, like, oh you're the bible encyclopedia, you can have all that and be completely missing a relationship with Jesus that's what he just said to the Pharisees he's like man, you guys are diligently searching the scriptures like kudos, but even though they're testifying of me, you're completely missing me you haven't come to me you think you're saved just by knowing the book. Now listen, I, I'm all for honoring and obeying and applying and respecting the authority of the scriptures because it's God's word. and Because God breathes and animates life into it. Okay, I'm all for that. But why do I study the Bible? Not be, because the Bible is an end to itself. I'm not coming to the Bible to get the Bible I'm coming to the Bible because it teaches me about Christ. And that's the person I have a relationship with. I'm not, I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? So it's so important. I don't want to lose that in this. Sometimes people maybe get into like. Bible worship. I heard one of my Baptist buddies says like, you know, hey, sometimes we're guilty. And I love these guys; they're amazing. Uh, they go, sometimes we're guilty of like, you know, we worship Father, God, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know, we kind of leave out. We're a little freaked out by the Holy Spirit sometimes, right? So we do Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And listen, like. But, but, you know, me too, that's the whole thing. Sometimes we end up going, oh, the book, the book, the book. And yes, we should be all, like, about, the, all about the book. Why? Why, why, why? Because I in and studying and reading and, and, and coming to the scriptures. I should have an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. He speaks to me through it. I respond to him through what I'm reading. It's this interaction with a person, with the person of Jesus Christ. And scripture testifies of Christ. And if I miss that, I can get the Bible and miss Jesus. If I, if I miss that, I missed the point of the scriptures, to point me to Christ, to deepen my walk with him. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 27. Jesus is, this is a great story here, I wish I had time to kind of flesh it all out. But Jesus says, he's speaking to these uh, disciples uh, on, the, on the road to Emmaus. This is after his crucifixion and resurrection. They don't recognize him. And, and he's like, what are you guys talking about? And he, they explain it, and he's like, what do you mean? And they said, man, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened here in the last couple days? Like, that Christ, you know, the one that was mighty in word and deed was crucified and dead and buried. And now we're, like, really bothered because some of the women came this morning, and they said that they went to the tomb, and it's empty. And we're, like, freaking out. Like, what is this? They don't recognize they're talking with Christ as they're walking. And this is how he responded to them. Luke 24, starting in verse 25. And he said to them, Oh foolish ones... And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says, didn't the Bible say this was going to happen? He's like, are you guys so slow to believe what the prophets said? They told you this was going to happen. And then it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's what I want you to get. When he's talking about beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, beginning with Moses, we talk about the first five books of the Bible, we call the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We say those are the books of Moses. So this is beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Jesus began to explain to them from those passages, from the Old Testament passages, all the things that the Scripture said about him. So here's what I want you to get. Some people, I've heard this too. Oh, we've got the New Testament. I don't have to read the Old. Like, you're, we're missing that. It's like, we need the whole counsel of God's word. So, so the Old Testament is all about Jesus too. So, what, so that's why when we were in Jonah just a few weeks back and we're, and we're seeing this, this picture of, of Jonah that's in the, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And we go, what is that that all about? And then he spit up. Like, what what do we see? Jesus later says, that was about me. He says, that's the sign that this generation is going to be given. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights. He says, everything is this type and shadow pointing forward to Jesus in the Old Testament. What is up when Abraham goes and takes his son It says his only son? Was it his only son in terms of numbers? No, he had Ishmael already, didn't he? But he took his only of that kind is what it's talking about only son like this, only son beloved in this way. Because he took his only son, he took some amount and offers him as a sacrifice or goes to, and what happens? God stops and the angel stops and says, now I know you won't withhold anything from the Lord. The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. What is all this sacrifice? Your only son, the Lord himself, will provide a sacrifice. Is, does that not point us to Jesus? What is all this slaughtering of bulls and goats and rams? Hebrews says that was all pointing towards Jesus. So when you're in the Old Testament, when you're, don't, don't just go, okay, I don't need the Old Testament. I'm flipping to the New Testament because I'm going to get about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. He said, it's all about me. What can we learn about Christ as we're reading in Genesis? Plenty. Plenty. To all of the scriptures, bear witness of Jesus. You want to know what Jesus was like? So many people are like, well, I don't think Jesus was like that. I think Jesus was like this. Like, and there's this really, again, just this idea of Jesus where it's like, oh, I don't think Jesus would do that because he's not like a meanie. And I'm like, have you even read the book of Revelation? I don't think Jesus, when Jesus doesn't judge, Jesus just loves everybody. I'm like, have you even read the end of the Bible? What Jesus are you talking about? Do you want to know what Jesus is like? Read the scriptures. Is Jesus love? Is Jesus compassionate? Is Jesus full of mercy? Absolutely. It's all right there in the scriptures. Will Jesus come and judge in righteous judgment? Yes. It's there in the scriptures. So if I want to know what Jesus is like completely, not just my own little idea of Jesus, if I want to know what he's like, what is his view on this subject? What is his thing? Everything he's spoken to, that's what he's like. That's who he is. And it says Jesus is the, the representation of the Father. Jesus says, you see me, you've seen the Father. So if I want to know what he's like, if the, all of scripture testifies of Jesus. So if I want to learn more about Jesus and, and, and thus learn more about the Father God, I, I read the scriptures. And I don't get to make up ideas outside of the scriptures and say, well, I don't think God's like that. I think God's like this. Scripture doesn't give you that option. Listen, just dismiss them completely. Or accept them. Don't, don't, don't play the halfway thing. It doesn't work. It's not a logically sound position. If I want to know what Christ is like, I search the scriptures. Okay, so what do we do with this? I got I to wrap. James chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is obvious. We talk about this every week. But if we just read and learn the scriptures and memorize the scriptures and impress our friends with our Bible knowledge, but we don't actually live our lives according to the scriptures, scripture says we're deceived. This is why so many people I believe will come to Christ in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to be like, I never knew you. The transformative power of the scriptures is not in knowing them, it's in doing them. Yes. <clears throat> The scriptures don't just transform us by memorizing them, but by applying them to our lives. Listen, you'd be better off not just memorizing the whole Bible, but why don't you memorize one verse to the point of applying it in your life? Why don't you just start there? Don't memorize the whole Bible. Find one verse. What are you struggling with? What area? Wrestle your heart and your life into obedience to God's word in that area. Just work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, just, just pray and seek God that your life would come in line with that thing. Struggling with forgiveness is an example that I've used today. What do you do? Man, what I, what I did this week was this. Like, God, I don't have the, your heart. I see that in the scriptures, you've challenged me, you've corrected me, you've shown me the way to walk in righteousness, that's to be as gracious and merciful and forgiving and loving as you are and I'm just not, and so God, I need your grace and I need your mercy and I need your love and Lord, help me to live it out and then I have to do something in response to the word. What we do is we hear a word, we feel challenged and we think that that equals change. Because we walk away maybe even from a sermon feeling challenged oh I was really convicted today but it produces no life change it's in doing the scriptures it's in doing the word that life transformation happens and listen all of that has to happen by the power of God because otherwise it's just behavior modification I'm just me trying to act like a better boy and that's not going to last very long so I have to cry out to God. God give me the power to do it Give me a heart to even want to do it. I'm absolutely dependent on you. The scriptures will move us to that place. They'll move us to that place of deeper surrender and trust in the person of God. So the goal of Bible study is not just to fill our heads with info about Jesus, but to grow in intimacy with him and into Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct. Amen? Amen. Let me give you something real quick. I'm over my time, but I want to, if you have uh, notes... I'm going to just give you a really quick... Many people would say, okay, I get it. I need to read the Bible, but I don't know how. I don't know how. I read it, and I get like whatever. First of all, ask tons of questions. Never stop asking questions. I ask questions all the time. There's no dumb question. And if there is, I've asked all of them. And I'll think of new ones to ask that are even dumber than the ones before. I'll just ask them all. Just be a learner. Let's be learners. Let's ask questions, okay? Let's ask questions of the Lord. Let's ask questions of others that we believe to be mature Christians who are following Christ. Let's ask questions. Let's not be ashamed or too proud to do that. But let's study. And how do we study? How can we get to this thing? Let me give you, can I give you a quick little acronym? If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, R-E-A-P, the word reap. How do I reap the benefits of the word of God? How do I reap the reward of all that God has for me in the scriptures? Let me just give you this silly little acronym that might help your Bible study time. Okay? R is this, just read, okay? So pick a passage of Scripture to read. Pick a couple verses, pick a chapter, whatever you're doing. Read daily. Pick a passage to read. So this morning I'm going to read John chapter 4. I'm going to read that, okay? E is this, examine. So read, examine. That is, take a closer look. That is, now... First you just read through it, then just go back and now examine what's in there. Don't just rush off. I used to do this, man. I read through, and I, was, I read through three books in one morning when I first got saved. I was just hungry for the Word. And God just kind of stopped me, and I, and I thought, what did I just read? I couldn't remember one verse. I just read three books of the Bible in one morning, and I couldn't remember one verse of what I'd read. So we rush off to the next passage just to read volume, and he's like, man, dig deeper, okay? But I'd rather you pause at one spot and dig deeper and get all there is to to get out of there for for that day. So examine, take a closer look at the passage, and ask questions like this. What does this passage teach me about Jesus? What does this passage teach me about people, about mankind, about my own heart? Is there a command to obey in this passage of Scripture? Is there a sin I see here that I should avoid in this passage of Scripture? Is there a promise to lay hold of in this passage of Scripture? So we're examining that text. We're saying, what is here? What does this say about Jesus? What does this say about people? Uh, Is there a command that I need to obey? Is there a sin I need to avoid? Is there a promise I need to claim? A is this. So read, examine, A is apply. This is what we were just talking about. And here's what I would ask when I come to the This is what I do. This is my little routine every morning, okay? It may not work for you. You may feel like it's too legalistic, whatever. It helps me process all this stuff, okay? A is apply. I ask myself, okay, now, in light of what I just read, in light of what I just read this morning, what do I need to start doing, stop doing, or continue doing in response to the scriptures, in response to the word of God? How does this need to impact my life? And then I literally write down the practical steps I feel like God is leading me to take to be a doer of what I just read. So read, examine, apply to your life, make application. And then P is pray. Scriptures should move us to prayer. The scriptures actually give language to our prayers in a beautiful way. Don't know what to pray for? Man, read a passage and let it move you to prayer, you know? read a passage about forgiveness feel the challenge in heart and go god help me help me to forgive that's prayer let me, the scriptures just moved you to it god i'm so i'm not there lord deal with my heart and now sanctification is happening through prayer because the scriptures moved you to prayer it's so powerful to let the scriptures do that let's pray so pray it's read examine apply and pray amen That's close. I'm over time. Father, we just thank you so much for tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would, God, that you would just encourage us. I pray that we would be people who um, seek you and respond to you in and through your word. Lord, I pray that, um, Father, that you would Inspire us to be people who are devoted, more devoted to time in your word. That we would carve out the time, and that we wouldn't come to the Bible just for the Bible, but that we would come to the Bible to deepen our walk with you, our relationship with you, our obedience to you. That it would impact then and influence how we live, how we think, how we pray, how we speak, how we act. Uh, That it would be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. That it would lay our hearts bare before you and show us and. uh, where, where we're in sin as, as the psalmist prayed that you would search our hearts and show us any wicked way that's in us and lead us in the way that's everlasting and that you would do that, Lord, through your word. God, I, I just pray that we would be diligent in the word and that our relationship with you would grow because of it, that our Christ-like character would be developed because of it. That our obedience, that our passion would grow. I just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.